The ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rowley Sussex. Uh, good morning to you, Rowley. How are things going? Good morning from Adelaide. Ah, and what takes you, uh, brings you to Adelaide? There's a conference on pelvic pain and I have a project on pain and communication. And so I'm giving a paper in about three hours. Mm. But in the, in, the, in the meantime, I've, I'm sitting in a very nice legal office high over Adelaide, looking out over the, uh, the suburbs and talking to Brisbane. Ah, oh, wonderful. Have you done your democratic duty already in advance? I did. I voted early before leaving Brisbane. And uh, that was a very nice thing because instead of having all of the, the push and shove, there were just a few people around and it was very civilised. I liked it. Lovely. Well, I mentioned to you this week I was going to start with uh, something a little different um, because it's had a few people talking and uh, I'm talking about this piece on a New York cabbie. Uh, now, I think Matt Damon here in the Goodwill Hunting, which was the image that conjured in my mind when I heard this. He's trying to wrap his head around counting in French. Now, before I throw it over to you, uh, Rolly, here's a little bit of it so you can get the sense of what I'm talking about. I gotta tell you something about the French number system, how they count to 100, it's absolutely bonkers. Everything from one to 16 is fine. They got their own names for it. It's like un dux, trois, cat, I don't know what it is, but it's something. They got the, the, the same numbers for it. When you get to 16, for some reason, some arbitrary number like 16, they say, hey, f the rest of it. We're going to do some random f now. So instead of 17, what you'd expect, they go 10-7, then they go 10-8, and then they go 10-9, then they go to 20. So that's fine. They have, they have 20, so that's cool. But what the hell was all that three numbers before that? You know, some of our numbers are like 21, 22, 23. Well, yeah, theirs is pretty much the same, except for one. It's like 20 and one. Why is there an and? I don't need to say and. It's just 21. And then they said, hey, you know what? We're going to be normal for the next 49 numbers up until 69, which first of all is hilarious because that's a sex thing. What comes next after 69? And I said, of course, it's going to be 70. You got some sort of stupid French word for 70, don't you? And he said, no. He said, instead of 70, then we got a 60, which is soisant or something, and you just add a 10 to it. So I said, what, you doing math now in the middle of your numbers? How the hell do you, how do you keep track of it? So instead of 70, it's 6010. He gets to 67. I think we can get the picture itself. So uh, what do you make of all that role? It's, uh, he goes on. It's, it's very good. He uh, expresses it all well. So, um, yes. So what do you make of that one? It doesn't seem to have held the French back much. They've had some marvellous mathematicians over the centuries. But he's quite true in, in one sense that number systems are very, very odd things. Um, fundamentally, most of them are decimal. In other words, they're based on 10 because we've got 10 fingers. And... Um, there are, there are some other words. There's binary, which is what computers use, which is just zero and one. Um, there's a duodecimal, which is based on twelves. And we used to have twelve pence, one shilling. All right. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, I suppose we've got a base 31 or something in months, in days of the, days of the month. We used to have what's called a vigesimal system of twenties. And that was score. Remember the Gettysburg Address? Four score and seven years oh, yes, ago? Yeah. That's 87, right? And um, there are, in English, we used to have 20 shillings, one pound. So we had a vigesimal system and a duodecimal system for money. Decimalization made it a lot easier. And there was even something called guineas, which was 21 shillings if you went to a very expensive shop. And computers also work with hexadecimal nowadays, which is six, base 16. 
So numbers are all over the show. And uh, he's quite right. The French go up to 16, all right. And then there's 17 is 10-7 and no, 18 is 10-8 and so on. Not as complicated, perhaps, as the Danes. Now, in French, when you get to 80, it suddenly flips into 420s, 80. And so 81 is 421, 422, and so on. But the Danes talk in 20s from 50 onwards. So they go 10, 20, 30, 40 is okay. Then 50 is basically half third times 20. So you multiply 10, 20 by 3, which is 60, and take half off it, which is 10, of right? So you get 50. And 70 is half fourth times 20. And 90 is half fifth times 20. Until you get to 100, and then things even out of work. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot for my little brain on this Saturday morning. <laughs> um, well, we, we're not done yet, Bill. It gets worse. Oh. Goodness me! Want some more? No, no, no. I think we've got uh, we've got some callers we should get to. Uh, Thirteen hundred triple two six twelve is the number if you'd like to uh, ask Rolly a question today. Thirteen hundred triple two six twelve. Let's uh, first of all go to Roslyn in Indrapilly. Fire away, Roslyn. Hi, Rolly. Um, I'm on, I'm on a few grammar questions today. Um, yes. I've been dying to ask you for many years, um, and I wish you were cloned for all the primary schools these days. I'm a product of the 1960s. Um, <laughs> right. And I did do German as a second language, which has a lot of grammar similarities to, except for their, um, their gender things in front of nouns. Um, what mm-hmm. I'd like to know is, and maybe it's just people being more slack these days, um, even during the election campaign, I'll give you an example, opportunistic policies... Um, but then many of them are. Instead of saying the pro, instead of saying um, those or these, people so frequently, mm-hmm. when speaking or writing, say them when they're referring to mm-hmm. objects, not people. That, that's actually quite okay. Um, really? If you're saying <laughs> yes, if you're like saying them or those, if you're saying those, then it it, it, it puts them a little bit at arm's length. Um, but it's, it's a bit thinking, like saying, you know, thinking more precisely rather than saying them, which we were taught in the 1960s, um, even in the 70s, uh, mm. is referring to um, the pronoun them, which is to do with people. Mm. Okay. Them, th- them is a plural third person. And if you've got policies, policies are certainly uh, third person plural things. Say So uh, the, such, such and such a party has got lots of policies. I don't approve of them. Now, that's fine. It, it can uh, refer to either people or things. And we were taught many things in school, like, you know, don't put prepositions last and so on, that's which I'm right. afraid were quite, were quite wrong. That's been part of English for more than 500 years. And it was a, a mistaken rule invented by the poet Dryden. And you and I suffered unnecessarily. It really well, had yeah, nothing I to do with it. I actually prefer it. But anyway, and the preposition yeah. one was one I was going to bring up today, but I won't now. <laughs> Putting yeah. prepositions last, yeah. That's right. That, that, in fact, is, um, is quite, it's standard in English and it's, uh, m- most of the Germanic languages do it and it's the way they work. And uh, the poet Dryden was trying to make English behave like Latin, which was in his day the prestigious language. And so he thought that the rules of Latin ought to influence the rules of English. And I'm afraid he was quite wrong. All right, thanks for that uh, question this morning. Rosalind at Indrapilly, 1300 if you want to ask uh, Riley a question. Uh, Anne, over to you at Yaron Lee. Oh, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Two, two questions or a comment. Um, 
the difference between era and era. Why mm-hmm. is it that people say we're living in, in a particularly good era? Mm-hmm. In an era. Okay, that's an Americanism. And they regularly pronounce E-R-A as era, and that sounds exactly like our E-R-R-O-R. But, of course, in America they pronounce R after vowels, so they would say error for the E-R-R-O-R one. And I'm afraid that, that people in Australia hear error and imagine that it can apply to either E-R-A or E-R-R-O-R. That's actually wrong. Uh, but uh, as with so many Americanisms, after a while, if you hear it a lot, it tends to influence the way people actually speak. It drives me mad. I'm right? sorry, grit the teeth. Um, it won't go away. <laughs> but by, by giving a good example, you may influence those around you. Hopefully. The other, the other query <laughs> I had was about the word won't, the old-fashioned won't, not I, I mm-hmm. won't do it, the other won't. The grammar of it, please. Right. It, there was, in about the 17th century in English, there were two ways of saying will, and one of them was will, and a dialectal one was wall, W-O-L-L, and that was the one when you put wall not, was shortened to won't, and that's, that's why we have won't instead of wint or something. And so there's a historical, an odd historical irregularity which has become part of standard English. Right. Okay. And by the way, you said you said hopefully a moment ago. That's also an Americanism. I was, I'll get rid of it straight Sorry. away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call and thirteen hundred triple two six twelve to have a chat to Rolly this morning. Uh, hello to you, Bruce, uh, up in Ipswich. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good. Thanks, there. mate. Very shortly, I'm going down the road to vote. Yes. When I come home, I'm going to be. Um, Devoted to my wife. I'm a <laughs> yes. bit confused about the vote. Yeah. Okay. Vote is um, is uh, Italian. Sorry, is a Latin word meaning a choice. choice. Okay. And and yeah. And and that's that's pretty pretty well pretty well known. Okay. Um, the it, it's rela- the devote one is related to a different Latin verb, which means to vow, and oh, so. Okay. Or, so if you are devoted, it's, it's someone to whom you have given your vow, and that's where the word comes from. Oh, right. I love the English language. Thank you. <laughs> Good <laughs> on you, Bruce. Appreciate the well, call. The trouble, you're right, Bruce, well, well spotted. Uh, the trouble with English is that it's borrowed lots of things from different places, and they sometimes come out looking rather similar, as in vote and devoted, and you think, well, they must have a common source. Isn't always the case. 1300 612 is our talkback number for Raleigh this morning. We're coming up to 20 past 10. 1300 612. Vic joins us from Highfields. Hi, Vic. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. G'day. Yeah. Um, I've got a question for Raleigh. I'm not sure whether it's his, her, his expertise or not. But we had some friends from Sweden over last year, and one of them asked me a question I couldn't answer. He wanted to know why everything in Australia is called great. The Great Barrier Reef, the Great Dividing Range, mm-hmm. the Great uh, Australian Bight, and so on. I can't give you a, a constant uh, historical reason. These names were assigned by explorers and so on. But I think it's true that we tend to go in for large things. I mean, certainly the Great Barrier Reef is uh, the largest of its kind anywhere. And so you dignify it by giving it a special name. Um, the word great um, is, again, I think, a relatively recent 
uh, arrival. My grandma, who was born in 1876, said to me once, you know, dear, I remember before we had the word great. Um, it's been prompted an, a lot in Australia by American usage, but the Great Barrier Reef and the Great Divide, Dividing Range are certainly older than that. No, Peter the Great for the, the Tsar of Russia. It's a word we use for people of outstanding eminence or for geographical things of outstanding size. But it's a good observation, actually. Yeah, certainly. Yes, thank you. Uh, thanks, Vic. Yeah. Uh, from uh, Highfields, 1300 612. If you want to talk to Rollies, it'll uh, 10.30 this morning. Uh, we've got another Vic. We've got a rush on Vic. Vic, uh, had at Redland. Hello. Oh, good day, Rolly. How are you going? Hello. Well, thank you. Oh, that's great. Yes, we're here. Uh, Rolly, my question is on, on the word Nancy, uh, as mm -hmm. mentioned in uh, Sea Shanties. Now, uh, a lot of English folk songs, are, and particularly sea shanties, uh, they mention Nancy. And, and I was wondering whether that is a generic name for a young girl or whether it was actual, actually a, a, a name. Um, you know, the, the generic names of young ladies like Colleen, um, mm -hmm. Irish, uh, would talk about their Colleen, or in Australia, uh, you know, they would talk about a Sheila, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, originally, Nancy was another form, uh, uh, an affectionate form of the name Anne. So, if you had, if you had a, uh, say, a daughter, and and you wanted to be you know, express something really nicely and friendly, you'd say Nancy, and then it became a name in its own right. So people were called Nancy without having Anne as their real name, and then it did another shift, and it became a term for an effeminate or a homosexual man. Now, whether that's what the shanties are talking about, I don't know. No, no, that, it wouldn't be, no. No, they'd be no. talking about a, uh, a female, uh, a loved one, actually, yeah. That's right. And yeah. I, I can remember a couple of shanties where you, they talk about my Nancy, uh, which is really, you know, my, my beloved lady. Mm. Ah, so it's a name. All, all from Anne. Yep. Okay, it's it's, it's a name and it's from Anne. Yeah, pleasure. Okay, thanks, Vic. At thirteen hundred triple two six twelve, that's the number to ask Rolly a question this morning. Let's go to Rockhampton. Uh, g'day, Dorothy. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, I just wanted to comment on that uh, question about everything in Australia being called great. Would mm -hmm. it, would it perhaps be because you know Great Britain? Would that have any connection with it? Do you think? Uh, well, Great Britain as opposed to Britain, um, uh, I, I think that that determination is part of the assertion of the domination of Britain and of course for, for many hundreds of years it was uh, no, very much a dominant international nation and you know great is a word which you use to distinguish something of particular size or importance and I think mm. that's why Ah, oh, right, okay, I just thought I'd Thank you. make a comment <laughs> Good on you Dorothy well, there, are people who, there are people who say that after Brexit it won't be Great Britain any longer Oh, there we go. 1300 612 is our talkback number. And uh, notice on ABC TV the massive crush of cameras around Bill Shorten, the opposition leader, who's about to cast his vote shortly in the uh, election day, just like everyone else uh, around the country. So uh, Bill and his wife are making their way. Well, he's got the how to vote cards in his hands. I'm not sure that he'd need those, would he, Rowley? I hope not. <laughs> By the way, casting your vote is a really interesting phrase because. The word cast in, in modern English, you know, you cast your bread upon the waters mm -hmm. and so on. Really, the only phrase where you use cast, I think, apart from fishing, is with the word vote after it. And we only do that every three years anyway. 
Yeah, oh, interesting. I wonder if he's got any coalition out of our cars well, in that cast. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's, <laughs> let's get to our uh, callers. Uh, Jonathan joins us from Crow's Nest. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Yes. Fire away. What's your question for Rolly? So, Rolly, uh, I, I use the term uh, guys, meaning uh, a collective term for male and female. However, my uh, yes. my my dad's wife got uh, quite cr- across at me saying that uh, she's. Is not a bloke, so I'm just wondering uh, where, where we stand <laughs> on that one, Rolly. Okay, it used to be um, American male only, uh, but it, it, in the last 20 years or so, it's shifted, and it, now it can mean not only mixed company, but also even a room full of women. And I've heard women say to each other, hey, come on, guys, we're going to have a drink. And this is accepted now as being an a friendly word f- addressing a group of people of either or mixed gender. Now, certainly in, in your, your relatives' days, that would not have been right, but the language has shifted quite strongly, um, following American pressure again, and, and it's quite all right nowadays. Okay, so thank you very, very much for uh, putting that more r- right. I'll, I'll uh, have a talk to my, my da- dad's wife. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, do do so very diplomatically. <laughs> Thanks very much, Bill Shorten. Continuing, I, I think I had a mixed up. He's handing up the how to vote cards, of course. I'm sure he hasn't got a coalition card in his hand, but uh, yes, he's very busy making his way to the polling booth uh, this morning. All right, uh, let's get to our callers, 1300 612. Um, it's Russell from Toowoomba. Hi, Russell. Oh, good morning. Um, <clears throat> a question uh, for the good professor, please. Uh, I know I'm probably a crank, but I know a lot of people would agree I am a crank, but I find it an irritant in the media these days, particularly the print media, where they put in the Prime Minister will today introduce such and such. To me, the today's in the wrong spot. Am I getting it wrong? Uh, Today is one of the adverbs of English that can go in most places in the sentence where adverbs are allowed. So you can have it first. Today the Prime Minister will introduce something. Um, And you can say the Prime Minister today will introduce something. The Prime Minister will introduce something today. And if you put the... I think the least common one is the one you've picked out. The Prime Minister will today introduce something. Um, You can't put many other time adverbs. You know, the Prime Minister will, after 5 o'clock, introduce something. That's no good. But with a very common short word like today, uh, that has now established a, a hold on that position after the will, and it's one of the places where you can put it in English. It's very flexible. Well, yes. Well, perhaps I'm of an era where it doesn't sound correct, because as you said, you start the sentence with, with the word today or you finish it with today. Yep. To me, yes. that sounds yes. much a much improved use or location. Uh, yeah, and not, uh, it's also the very, very much more common. And if you, yeah. if you do a check, and I can, I've got software that does with, you'll, you, you'll find that the, the word today is miles more common in first and last position than in the middle. Oh, oh. I would just have to tolerate it, won't I? Uh, yes. I'm Thank afraid you. so, yes. Thank you, Russell, for, uh, for calling in. Now, James, in Indrapilly, you've got a uh, really timely question, an election question. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, Rolly, I just wanted to know the difference between uh, general election and federal election, because I was always under the impression it's federal in Australia, not general. Mm, it is, yeah. It is? No, yeah. the, a general election is, is something which you, you find in a 
place like Britain, which doesn't have regional elections. And so they no, the general election is in fact an election and it's held every, what is it, four years over there? Yeah. Uh, in, our, in Australia, it's either, it's either federal or state. So general is something which we don't really have. Yeah, it always irks me when sort of I hear on TV general election rather than federal, but good to know. Um, excellent. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks uh, for your call, James. Now let's go to uh, Tom in Birkdale. A question about the Woofty. Yeah, uh, hello, Rowley. Yeah, just a uh, on the ABC earlier this week, um, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, use of the phrase all of a sudden, and um, mm. we could economise that down to suddenly. But uh, yes. it's not totally valueless because um, it's uh, the um, subject of one of these uh, knock-knock jokes that the children love uh, at, in the school playground. Um, who's there? Oliver. Oliver who? Oliver Sutton. And then uh, finish the sentence <laughs> any way you like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, very good that kids are continuing to play it with is, words like yeah. that. No, you're, you're quite right. All of a sudden... Um, it is suspected, I thought it might have turned up in something like Christopher Robin or whatever. Um, I think it's a child's story of some kind, but I haven't been able to track it down and no one else has either. So suddenly is, is regarded by a lot of people as the, the proper, single, simple, elegant way to do it. All of a sudden, is, uh, it, it, it's got a little bit more pompousness about it. You know, all of a sudden, something happened. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, thanks for the call, Tom. Uh, Appreciate that. Yep. Uh, not too far away. We've got a couple more questions before we let you uh, go for the day. Raleigh, let's go to, um, oh, I think we'll take Barbara, who's going to join us now from Bribey Island. Hey, Barbara. Hi, how are you going? Good, thanks. That's good. Um, Raleigh, I was wondering about the use of the words up and down. I understand dress mm-hmm. up means sort of like fancy dress or dressing up to the nines, a bit of glitz or something, and dressing down is going casual, but it's still interesting. But when you look up something in a book, but the, I had a conversation this morning and someone was telling me that this was something rather was down the road and I thought she meant to the left and she meant to the right. And I it made me start <laughs> to think about it, looking at, you know, up the road, down the road, I'm going down down to Melbourne, up to Cairns. You understand that because of mm-hmm. the map, I suppose. But wh- wh- where, why yes. do we start saying up the road when it's flat? Okay. Um, there are all sorts of habits about this, which are, some of which are not logical at all. In England, the up train was always the one that went to London, whether or not the ground was flat, and the down train was the one that went away from London. And that was a kind of regular usage on the railways, which became absolutely standard. Now, up the road, down the road, um, if, even if it's flat, you, you sometimes um, the, the idea is of, of you know, heading up a slight incline or whatever, uh, but I'm, I'm going up the road to see so-and-so can mean simply I'm going horizontally uh, 150 metres to have a cup of tea with my friend. Well, what and it's got, going to my friend's place? That would be much shorter, yeah. But but, <laughs> but up the road, it, it's a kind of little phrase meaning I'm going out in the road and going to make a, have a short, usually, I think, walking visit, something like that. But um, up and down, no, dressing up, dressing down. The up it was traditionally motion upwards and all of the things that went with it. So he's gone up in society means... He's uh, achieved a more prominent position. Uh, He's down on his luck means he's lost his money and he's in trouble. And so up and down were originally just space, and then they started meaning all sorts of other things. 
And then they, they even, as you say, have lost the idea of any reasonable space about it going up and down the road. Um, and I think you could argue, if you are on a flat road, I'm going up the road, I'm going down the road, very difficult to decide which you should use, and some people have a habit of using one or the other, and it's got no logical basis at all. Well, you could fly to Melbourne, not some flight you can indeed. to Melbourne. Ah, yeah. If you're going to fly, fly down to Melbourne, I think that might suggest that you were in country Victoria somewhere and you're going south. Whereas if you're in Tasmania, flying down to Melbourne would sound very strange. Thanks for the call, Barbara. Last couple before we let Rolly go. Um, this one's about cast. And we had Caitlin from Seven Hill say she wants to cast aspersions. And uh, John, you wanted to talk ah, about yes. cast as well. You're from uh, Calbar. Hey, good morning, Rolly. Love your show. Thank you. Wanted to remind you of the uh, use of cast. A racehorse can cast a shoe. Oh yes. Now, thank you very much. Um, my main association with horses is through my daughters, and uh, I'd completely forgotten about that one. Um, and again, no other animal is shod. I don't think, um, except possibly for mules, and I don't think they are. So yeah, cast a shoe. And by the way, cast aspersions. Thank you, Caitlin. That is an idiom. It's one of the. An idiom is words where. They've they've got so used to being together as a, a unit that they are uttered as a single piece and you don't put anything in the middle. You don't cast nasty aspersions very much. I think you just cast aspersions. But right. Thank you for casting a shoe. I'd, I'd, I'd slip that one. And uh, casting a shoe is a little bit different from casting a vote. All right. Our last caller this morning is uh, from Bundy. And morning to you, Ian. Hi. Uh, g'day, blokes. G'day. One thing that I'm mourning is the loss of our Australian language. What's happened to beauty, bottler, bonza? <laughs> yep. Um, bonza, I remember from a film called Smiley in the 60s. Um, beauty and bottler were both good Australian expressions of approval. A bit later, we had Ace and Grouse in yeah. the 70s, I think. They've both fallen out of use now. Um Boster is a really old one from 1910-1920 or so, variation of Bonza. Again, I'll, I'll have to use that one. Boster. B-O-S-H-T-E-R, Boster. Boster. It's a variation of Bonza, and it, it had a short period of flowering around about the 20s, 30s. Nowadays, yep, nowadays it's very strange. All of our words of approval are American. Yes. From great and neat and cool and even bad and filth, which are being very, very, no, very fully, approval. Fully sick, yes. Fully sick, yes, yeah. Um, the one that isn't is from Aboriginal English, which is deadly. And that's interesting. That right? It's being taken over by white people, yes. With this message, never use a preposition to end a sentence with. Ah, yeah, I know that one, and I'm afraid it's totally bad advice. It's things that in the English does this quite naturally, and you and I were taught wrongly at school. Too right. What a ripper of a question to finish on, uh, <laughs> Aussie stuff. All right, um, you got a, a last word for us, Rolly. I do, but just to warn everybody, we will do more numerals next week. There's a, a heap of other interesting things. All right, here's my last word. We have all heard that a million monkeys banging on a million typewriters will eventually reproduce the entire works of Shakespeare. Now, thanks to the internet, we know that this is not true. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.